And I was trying to ignore those patterns, but then I realized that this was somebody else telling me to do something, uh, and I had to listen to that. And so when you kill your ego, when you trust your gut, when you recognize the patterns that are going in your life, that's going to lead you to making the best decision for you. Failing. 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 I know. When we talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Well, listeners, I'm so excited to introduce Craig Chavis. He is an award-winning author and a business strategist, and he came highly recommended by a good friend of mine who has become a friend of yours. So welcome, Craig. Thank you so much for having me on, Sarah. I'm super uh, honored to be a part of this podcast and uh, looking forward to our conversation. And Craig, what's crazy is that although you don't live in Cincinnati now, you did live in Cincinnati at one point. Correct. Yeah, no, Cincinnati is uh, my hometown. I uh, lived there for the first 12 years of my life. And even though I've lived all over the world, um, I'm proud to say I'm a Cincinnatian. So, yeah, that's where, my, that's where my journey began. That's okay. Then let's just get into it. So journey begins. Grow up in Cincinnati. How many kids in your family? So it's myself and my sister. We have the uh, same mother, but my uh, father adopted her when I was born. And so, yeah, born in, on the north side of Cincinnati, lived in uh, Mount Healthy, College Hill, and, and Loveland for a little bit. But uh, growing up, I moved around because of my father's job. And so whenever he ran into a hiccup or didn't get a promotion, uh, we moved. And so first 12 years of my life was spent in the Natty, but then uh, we moved up to Cleveland. And uh, that was an interesting uh, time in, in, in my in my career, my my young career. Um, the biggest difficulty I had uh, was I had a stuttering stuttering problem. Um, I had to do hooked on phonics. Really? Yeah. After after class. Hooked on phonics. And that was one of the first things my mom taught me. She's like, if you have a problem, you're gonna have to solve it, because the the school teachers weren't gonna help me. There was no after school programs, and so to overcome that stuttering impediment, I had to do hooked on phonics through through middle school. Um, okay, so is stutter, stuttering is a neurological disease. Is that what right? Wait, what causes stuttering? I don't know. I mean, might have been a little bit of dyslexia. Um, my mother was dyslexic, so they say okay. that that's potentially hereditary as well. So I don't know, but I'm so fortunate that uh, that's no longer an issue. I mean, sometimes I stutter when I get really excited or nervous, but uh, yeah. it's no longer a problem now. And were you a shy kid or an outgoing kid? Super, super outgoing, super outgoing. Um, and that's the really interesting thing because both of my parents are very introverted. Uh, my, my dad's very right. book smart. He's a IT architect. He's a computer programmer, so he likes to stay to himself. And then my mother, she's an occupational therapist. But um, I just knew, I think it was because I had to move around so much that I had to get mm -hmm. used to meeting new people and making new friends. And the only way to do that is to talk to people. So I got very extroverted and gregarious at a young age. Um, Craig, how much older is your sister? She's three years older than I am. Okay, so just three, not much. No, not much. And, and are you really close with her? Oh, we're thick as thieves, thick as thieves. Like um, she's oh. always been there for me. Fun fact, when I was a kid growing up, I was choking on a sucker. She did CPR before she even knew what CPR was. Another time I was in the pool 
got thought I was Superman and she couldn't swim and she jumped in and she's always telling me she's like without me in your life you probably wouldn't be here like she saved me at least three times that we can both remember <laughs> so like yeah she's one of my best and where friends. does she live now she's in Baltimore Baltimore Maryland okay. uh she's a professor okay. out there and uh I'm about to be I'm about to be a proud uncle soon so I'm nice. super excited but yeah I love her to death okay and where are you living now so I'm currently in Columbus Ohio for the moment but um but a digital nomad for most of my professional career so it's going to be interesting to wind up see where i wind up next okay so um listeners uh craig's book is amazing craig let's let's talk about the book so the book is entitled burdens of a dream so me being an author i'm gonna get back to the story that i was telling you so uh, i think we left off when i said i was living in cleveland and uh mm -hmm. cleveland like I said, I was stuttering. It was, it was a very difficult time in my life. I had to overcome those difficulties. And once I got comfortable, we moved again down to Columbus. And aside from um, my love for music, what kept me really focused was athletics. And I was good enough to get a Division One football scholarship that took me from Ohio down to Birmingham, Alabama. And those are my wow. only, that was my only dream was being a professional athlete. Uh, I was good enough to potentially maybe get a shot at the NFL. But uh, that dream was taken away when I got injured my sophomore year, and I thought about dropping out. So did so when you went to college, mm -hmm. D one. Mm -hmm. You when did you start playing football? So I started playing football in middle school, so about the age of thirteen. Okay, okay. Are you tall? No, I'm fast. Listeners won't know. I'm five nine. But you're fast. Five nine. Okay. But very very okay. fast. Okay. And so, like I said, once that got taken away from me, uh, thought about dropping out. But um, Spanish professor convinced me to study abroad in uh, Costa Rica, which was completely life changing because it gave me a different perspective, introduced me to a new language, a new culture, and also to this concept of international business. So uh, once I came back, uh, I actually started DJing to make ends meet because I didn't have a full athletic scholarship anymore. And I, oh, and I used some of those profits to go to Spain uh, for six months to really knock out my Spanish minor. And I got hooked. So I graduated with an entrepreneurship major, Spanish and international business double minor. And then uh, I went down to Tampa and knocked out my MBA in less than a year. And oh as gosh. I was wrapping up my studies, I was interviewing in New York and San Francisco at big tech companies. But I just didn't see myself sitting in a cubicle coding all day or managing people that yeah. coded all day. But I uh, didn't get a job offer. But what happened is that I ran into a Peace Corps recruiter who said that I, I had the perfect background for serving in the Peace Corps with my. How did you just run into a Peace Corps recruiter? Oh, was that a Chipotle? I mean, come on. Oh, was that a Chipotle in Manhattan? Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> at a Chipotle. You just started talking to them? Yeah. Just spark. You, you asked me. It's like, I'm very extroverted. And I just love sparking up conversations with people. And we were just in a line. And I just started talking and shared my story. And she's like, you should apply. And I did. And that took me down to Peru, where I did economic development or basically business coaching and consulting. So why, what was it about the Peace Corps that appealed to you? Well, And then I want to take a step back to the injury in college at, right after that. Well, number one but what was, it? was the opportunity yeah. just to live and work abroad in another country. Like I had a, I got bit by the travel bug very hard mm -hmm. in, in Costa Rica and Spain. So traveling was number one. But number two was that the fact that I would be exposed to what I studied. Like I studied international business. I, I minored in Spanish 
And it presented me with an opportunity to be very entrepreneurial. So it was the perfect opportunity for somebody with my background. Where do you think this travel bug came from? Did you, I mean, obviously your parents moved around. I get that, but that was for jobs. Mm -hmm. Did your parents value travel? My mother did um, because she had the opportunity to go to Europe when she was in band in, in Mount Healthy High School. And she told me that traveling exposed her to a whole new way of thinking. And mm -hmm. she's like, I knew where you were going. You were in a very dark place. And the one thing you needed to do was get out of your own mind. Well, the way to get out of your own mind is to literally get out of your own country. And so uh, she convinced me that that would be a good idea. And I'm so glad that she supported that okay, initiative. That is, that is so fascinating to me. And I think really true. What is going to happen now with COVID and people not being able, what do you think will be that the other option? Because there has to be some sort of other option or workaround. Well, if you can't leave the country, well, get out of your city or... As I like to do, I like to get lost where I live. And it always blows my mind that people can live in an area their whole life, but they've never been across the railroad tracks. So for me, you just have to get curious. That's why my business is called Creative Craig. Like I'm very creative. I'm going to go think outside the box and explore your backyard if you can or if you have no other option. So I believe that uh, each person has certain strengths or talents and gifts. It sounds definitely like one of yours is curiosity and creativity. How do you uh, harness that or um, like grow it? Well, I always like to think that there's nothing to lose. Like if I don't do something different, then nothing's ever gonna change. And so like if I'm frustrated or if I'm not comfortable where I'm at, then I'm gonna have to do something different. So for me, it's just a simple opportunity cost. It's like, okay, the cost of mm. doing the same thing over and over again is not worth the cost of me doing something different. So yeah. me doing something different is always going to pan out better than just doing the same thing. So why not be curious and why not, you know, question. Okay. Uh, this is going to get a little personal here, but are you married? Do you have children? No to both questions. Okay. So that affords you more freedom. Is that by choice? Oh, completely by choice. Completely by choice. It's like, I'm not done, you know, living this life that I'm living right now. And I've, I'm making that conscious decision just to like put myself first and kind of like yeah. tap my, my battery, so to speak. And then once that's emptied, then I'll be like, okay, well, there's no, there's not going to be a midlife crisis for me because there's nothing that I missed out right. on. So uh, right. I'm being selfish first so I can be selfless later. Oh, I like that. The Somebody that I interviewed um, last week talks about individuation hmm. and somebody who has individuation is doing exactly what you, knowing what you want and going after it, regardless of what the exterior world says, Right but going after what is important to your inner self. Mm -hmm. Well, and that kind of like leads to what we're talking about, like with the book. So uh, go back to the story. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I was in the Peace Corps loving what I was doing, but on the side of me doing my coaching and consulting, I was also teaching youth entrepreneurship. And at this college, my co-professor, co-facilitator was a distiller. And so after class, I'd go back to his uh, his apartment and he would teach me how to distill Pisco. 
which is like the national spirit of Peru. It's, it's made from grapes. Oh, I was like, what it's, is It's that? incredible. And so what I would do is I would take the liqueurs that we were making and I would sell them to the farmers and the business owners that I was coaching and consulting like on the side. And I built up this massive following so that when I finished my Peace Corps service, I immigrated back to Peru by myself and opened up the country's first branded craft distillery. And um, it was a super, super su- big success. You got four different products to market in less than nine months. And I actually outgrew my space. And when I approached my landlord to extend the lease and actually expand my footprint on the property, uh, they confessed that they didn't own the business to begin with. They didn't own the land. Another family member did. So I signed a fake contract and ultimately had to close my business because I couldn't afford the new lease that they gave me that was the official document. And so kind of that whole story of like leaving the U.S., starting a business um, is what my book's about. And I entitled it Burdens of a Dream because like we all have these dreams, but nobody really wants to bear the cost of those dreams. Like you have Mm -hmm. to pay a price to manifest your dream into reality. And that's what that's what the burden is. And when we talk about failing, uh, one of the chapters in the book is called fail, which means first attempt in learning. And so like a a failure is not really a failure because like when you've never done something before, you're going to, you're going to make mistakes, but it's only a mistake when you keep doing the same things over and over again, which is the definition of insanity. So that's why I entitled the book burdens of a dream, because you have to pay a cost to live a life that most people only dream about. So, uh, biggest lessons for you on that first big business venture and what, what did you do differently the next time? Biggest lesson learned is, a, like I said, every chapter in the book is a lesson learned. But one of my favorite chapters is trust, but verify. And mm. um, the, the, that lesson came from when I had to choose between two lawyers. Um, I ran into two lawyers that I needed to do my business documentation. And one was yeah. this fancy, slick-haired Argentinian guy with a big reputation. And the other guy was this freshly barred junior lawyer who just graduated from law school and of course you know i went and i fell for the smooth talking the big reputation and i disregarded like the the new rookie lawyer but the the lawyer that i chose actually screwed me over by signing himself in as a power of attorney without my knowledge so anytime i needed any business documentation i had to pay this guy an arm and a leg to get his signature and the dude who actually saved me, who helped me to get out of the bad lease that I signed was the junior lawyer that I initially ignored. So you can always hear people's Craig. reputations, but you got to trust their character. So trust, but verify. I cannot um, believe that both of, that those things happen. And you're still so positive. <laughs> yeah, I just I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. I mean, I had I mean, I was hard on myself. Like, trust me, like I went through uh, a dark season. Like, fortunately, I had my sister. She let me sleep on her couch when I came back to the United States. Like, it took me a year or two to really kind of recover. But writing the book is like is what gave me this new perspective. Like, it was very therapeutic to write those mm-hmm. words and relive those situations because I was like, oh, snaps. That's what happened. That will that will was my mistake. And that's what I learned from. What's the number one thing that you teach people when you do trainings, when you do keynotes? I would say the number one thing I teach people because like I specialize in helping entrepreneurs to develop 
proven, proactive, and profitable business models. And the number one problem that any new entrepreneur runs into is this thing called not having founder market fit. And what that means is that people aren't qualified to start certain businesses because they don't have the aptitude, experience, or credibility to start that business. And so when people are confused and they don't know what business idea to start, I tell them, if you don't know where to begin, like look within. Like you have to really know yourself at a deep level. And so for me, how I got into this, this thing as a business strategist was A, I have 15 years of entrepreneurial experience, but I also have a love for teaching and helping people. So I really looked mm-hmm. at myself to come up with this new business that I'm doing. But if you don't know yourself, like you're gonna fail from day one. So how do you help them um, understand and get to know self? Well, take them through an exercise. Like one of my favorite exercises I give people is this thing called the value creation framework. And I have people write down, okay, like what are their skills? What are the things that you're great at doing at a high level that come with ease? And then secondly, like what are your passions? Like what are the things you love doing? What are your side hustles? What are your hobbies? And what are the things you enjoy doing without pay? And when you combine like your skills and your passions, you find this overlap of a business that you are great at doing, but then you also love doing because you need those two things. What would be an example of something that um, somebody does at a high level? So the skill would be an example of that. So like I, I look at you and like look at your background, like you're like you're probably great at organizing people. You have a, a managerial expertise with the with the nurses that you help. So you're probably good at systems and processes, organization. And like that's a skill that you learn over time. It's not something that's anybody's born with. So longevity is like indicates that you might have some skill or aptitude at that thing that you're doing. So for those people listening who are interested in, maybe they're trying to figure out what the second or third act is. I think that um, activity also would uh, be a great um, exercise for them to use as well. Because I think people oftentimes, it's like seasons, kind of like what you talked about, how you had that dark time and everybody has seasons. And so what do you tell those people who are looking to recreate trust the process like and Mm -hmm. it's so counterintuitive because us as humans like we naturally have this like locus of control we want to like micromanage everything and white knuckle yeah and you you just have to let things go you have to trust the process and like that frees you and like when you set those boundaries like it's another thing i tell people boundaries set you free and when you're just like okay i'm not gonna fight the feeling i'm just gonna take my next best step like the answers will reveal themselves over time okay give me an example for you when you trusted the process when you had to trust the process maybe you didn't at the time but then you did oh so when i had to move back to ohio so in 2019 i had just liquidated my blockchain startup called visa jump uh, that was based out of washington dc so after that happened i was like okay what do i do next well at that same time my grandmother had passed away there were some family things going on. And I decided that it was time for me to come back home to Ohio. It had been a little over a decade. And I was like, okay, what is my next best step? And so I had never worked in corporate America. I'd never had a formal job. And I just was interviewing, you know, at big Fortune 500 companies down to little startups and just nothing was clicking. And I was like, what's going on? And a lot of the times when I went to these interviews, people were like, 
Um, are you going to be an entrepreneur again? Are you going to leave us? Are you going to stay? And they're just questioning like my genuine aspirations for wanting a job. Well, now whether or not they're right or wrong, it didn't matter. I, I didn't get the opportunities. And right. so once again, I had to share my story. And I just went out and was talking to people and letting them know about my background. And that's how I got the book deal. And when I got the book deal, it first started off as a project, but then that project transmuted into a calling. And as I write on page one of the dedication, I said this book is dedicated yeah. to all those who will dare to abandon the status quo, follow the road not taken, and discover the person they were truly meant to become. And so as much as I was writing that to the reader, I was writing that to myself. So when I was writing the book, I had to trust this process that this book would lead to something. And when I wrote the book, it led to me launching my creative agency that I have now. So, Craig, I, I hear on trust the process, but is there any, you said, you mentioned earlier about like really understanding self. How do you know, like we all get nudges. Mm -hmm. How do you know when to do something or not to do something? How do you know when it's not the ego and when it's something that you're really meant to do? <laughs> oh, I have a great answer to that. Chapter 30 in the book is called Ego Death, one of my favorite chapters. You got to let your ego die. It, it, uh, audience, <laughs> I am seriously not teeing him up on purpose. These are happening organically. Yeah, chapter 30 is ego death. You got to let that ego go. It's hard. Easier said than done. But so yeah. when it comes to decision making, there's three ways people make decisions. With their okay. head, with their heart, and with their gut. So yeah. your head is pure logic, pure formulaic. You're going to do the numbers. Okay, this percent correct, this percent incorrect, good or bad. You're going to make a logical decision. Your heart is self-explanatory. It's emotional. And you're going to do what you feel. But the thing is, is like when you do just pure logic, you're going to miss out on things. When you just go into yes. your heart, you're going to make irrational decisions because it's only made with your emotions. But the third way people make decisions and the way I make decisions and what I had to learn how to do was to trust my gut. And mm -hmm. I believe your gut is the harmonious balance between your head and your heart. Now, it's never going to be 50-50 because I believe it's probably like 51-49 because me being more empath. I lead more with my heart than I do with my mind. Yeah. But you have to have a balance. Like you have to do a cost benefit analysis but you, uh, to make a decision. But then sometimes there's decisions where the numbers, they, they'll never add up. They'll never make sense. Like me yes. immigrating back to Peru to open up the first branded craft distillery was not a logical decision. Like the numbers were against me. Right. But I followed my heart and my dream and I made it happen. So, but that was a gut instinct that I had all along. So that's yeah. one A to that question. But then one B is another chapter in the book, which is called pattern recognition. And okay. you have to be tuned in to the universe and to your world. You have to recognize that like the world talks to you in patterns. And so for me, going back to my story, when all those doors kept closing at those job interviews, yes. that was right. patterns. And I was trying to ignore those patterns, but then I realized mm. that this was somebody else telling me to do something, uh, and I had to listen to that. And so when you kill your ego, when you trust your gut, when you recognize the patterns that are going in your life, that, that, that's going to lead you to making the best decision for you. Okay. I think those, I, I totally agree with you, Pat, with the patterns with you on that one. The um, head and heart I like that concept that you said about like the gut is a combination of the head and heart. I hadn't, I had never thought of that 
that way before. That's a really great concept for me. Um, you mentioned earlier about manifesting things. Yeah. So, uh, do you believe in the concept of manifesting things? What are your? T- tell me your thoughts on that. Going back to the book, <laughs> chapter five is is called magic. It's an acronym. You, you want to know what magic stands by for? By the way, by the way, do you know that one of my favorite words is magic? Yeah, because it's powerful. But yep. magic to me stands for manifesting abstract goals into consciousness. What does that mean? It means put in the work. You know, you have a lot of these gurus and yoga experts and a lot of these, you know, influencers. It's all manifest. Just sit back and envision your life the way you want it to be. And it's going to happen. And it's like it won't happen until you make it happen. Like manifestation is a is a verb, is an action word, which means you have to put in yes. something behind it. So I'm all about manifesting stuff, but it really means that you have to put in the work, create a plan and execute. Have you read the book, The Source? No, I have not. I need to add it to my list. Oh my God, Craig, check it out. She is a a neuroscientist Mm. and she talks about manifesting things, but what she talks, and patterns Mm -hmm. too. Uh, But what she talks about in there is instead of doing a vision board, it's an action board. To your point around putting in the work, right? You gotta put in the work. And I, so I love that. I agree with you on that one. It's so true. I mean, like nothing happens without action or effort. And so once you, once people really understand that concept and the fact that it's a process and that like, to me, I just think of everything like a scientific method. Like I form a hypothesis, then I go out and test that hypothesis. Then after I test the hypothesis, I collect the data and then I measure it and analyze it figure out what went right, what went wrong, and why. And then after I learn from that, then I go on and have another hypothesis, and I do it all over again. It's just- Okay, so I feel like nothing ever gets you down. <laughs> Not anymore. It used to. It used to. Okay, well, okay, tell us that, and then how you respond. How do you keep a level of positivity? Once I realized that the person that I saw in the mirror was either my best friend or worst enemy. And once I made that conscious decision to become my best friend and not be my worst enemy, then I kind of started wow. feeling unstoppable because like we, we all go through issues. Like uh, one of the things I say is that like everybody has the free will to become whoever they want to become, but then other people have the free will to prevent that from happening. It's your job to make sure that doesn't happen. Okay, how, when did you have that epiphany about the I could be my best friend? So that was when was that? that was really me when I'm after I moved back to Ohio when I was just like questioning, endlessly questioning like why things had happened the way they did. Like I had a, a deep period of like introspection. Like uh, on the on the back of my workbook, I say time is gold and money is silver, and so I had a ton of time on my hand to really think mm. about like who I was becoming what I liked about that, what I saw, what I didn't like. And once I realized that, okay, like I was the one that was really preventing me from taking that next best step. It wasn't the people who, was, who wasn't giving me the job or wasn't the managers who flaked out on my interviews. It was just like me preventing myself from really becoming the next level of entrepreneur that I was supposed to be. 
And once I just recognized that, then I kind of just let things go and trusted the process and move forward. That's remarkable. I, the biggest, my biggest takeaway is um, I need to start being my best friend more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's business 101. It's like, if you don't believe in yourself, why should, why should anybody Who else? Will. Yeah. 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 You got to be your best friend because there's, there's too many other forces going on right now. I mean, we can get very altruistic, right? There's so many things going on in this world, whether it's COVID, whether it's people losing their jobs, whether it's war, whether it's people losing money. Like there's so many things like out of our control that, that could yeah. inevitably get in our ways. But if we just focus on the things that we can control, which I don't really think we can control anything, but ourselves are the things that we can control the most. Like once we get control of who we are and our mindset, that's when things could really change for the better. You are such a teacher. <laughs> I try. It's awesome. I try. It's amazing. All right. Why don't you close with the last um, lesson you think you should teach to our listeners and to me? That is, that's, that's a really good way to, to stump the Craig, you know, when I, when I was on my, when I was on my roll, the, the, the last lesson, it, it goes back mm-hmm. to the in, insanity thing. Like it's not a mistake until you keep doing the same thing over and over again. Like if you just don't take the time to learn and just to pause, to slow down, like that, that's where I'll get, that's where I go. Slow down. Like, like we're so busy nowadays. Like this American culture is unfortunately about living to work mm. instead of just mm-hmm. like working to live. To live. And just yeah. slow down. Just like we have all the time in the world right now. We're not, we're never going to get back to normal, whatever that means. But whatever you're doing today, whatever you have planned, just, just take your time. There's no reason to be in a rush. Like there's, if you, if you have any short-term goals, Forget your short-term goals. Like create one long-term North Star. And if you trust the process, inevitably you'll hit those short-term goals because you're so focused on that one long-term goal. So just trust the process, be patient, and uh, enjoy life because it's short. <laughs> Craig, I never know what I'm going to hear when I interview people. And it is like every time I do it, it's magic for me. And so <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day, spend it with me and with our listeners because um, you are a great teacher for this world. And I really appreciate that you were on today. Well, thank you so much for having me on. And I really enjoyed this conversation and I really hope your listeners get some value from it. Oh, they they will. You got one person that did already. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod. 